This episode four of Well To Do with building biologist and PhD scientist Nicole Bilsma is proudly brought to you by Complete Home Filtration, where you can have the system attached to your property and then it filters water throughout your entire home. Imagine every tap you turn on to drink from or bathe or wash in doesn't have any chemicals in it. Water is being treated more and more often than ever before, but complete home filtration systems are something we can all do to have a healthy home. Hello, welcome Nicole to our show Well To Do. This is such an amazing episode to be able to have you explain to us not only about all the contents in your book, healthy home, but what we actually need to do to be healthy. So, Nicole, you are a building biologist. You're based in Victoria, and we are so excited to have you here on our fourth episode of Well To Do. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Looking forward to talking about my what I'm very passionate about. <laughs> so what are you passionate about that entails a healthy home? Well, look, after seeing a very strong association between many of my patients with asthma, allergies and fatiguing syndrome and autoimmune disorders and their homes, hazards in the home, and as well as my own miscarriages. I had 10 miscarriages when we moved into our home and sleep disorders, which I believe was instigated from sleeping near the meter panel. I started to engage in a lot of informal research for years and um, eventually started the Australian College of Environmental Studies to educate people about health hazards in the home. So I founded the building biology industry and subsequently have just completed my PhD on the impact of um, environmental exposures on health because I, without doubt, many chronic illnesses that people see their doctor for is likely to be exacerbated by or even caused in some cases by issues in their home. Wow. So, I mean, you bring up some huge illnesses there and, of course, your own trauma of 10 miscarriages. That's just insane. A lot of people must be going through so many illnesses, um, miscarriages like yourself, only to not realise that the one area that they're not looking at in terms of their health is actually our dwelling. This is huge. We look at our own body that houses us, but where we house our body, you're saying, has a huge impact on our overall health and well-being, even to the point that you can now relate this back to research. Absolutely. And there's a lot of research. I mean, the number of journals dedicated to environmental health has exploded in the scientific literature and um, the number of publications on mould, electromagnetic fields, um, man-made chemicals in the last 10 to 15 years is just enormous but very few of it reaches the clinical bench top it takes 17 years to go from scientific discovery to changes in medicine uh, and health so it's something that's urgently required because we have a much better idea that many patients especially with some types of autoimmune disorders are likely to be due to biotoxins and increased chemical exposures and I can hear the urgency in your voice, Nicole. You know, the speed with which you replied when I invited you to be on this podcast to the way you're communicating the information. You are dedicated to teaching, you know, the world about how to be healthier on this level. You've got a PhD in it, as you said, um, and it's just taking 
too slow a time, as you say, you know, 17 years or whatever it is to get this information recognised and understood. And so, I mean, we all have a calling. Your calling is this for sure. This is why, you know, when I thought about healthy homes and how to teach people how to have next level wellness and the things that we need to do to be well, which is why the show's called Well To Do, I was just like, Nicole is our girl. We have to get her on the show. And, um, you know, I just want to talk to you about how sad and how gifted it is at the same time that one has to go through their own journey of like losing babies, you know, to then discover how you can turn that darkness into light for others. Um, So sometimes the problem is the solution when it comes to absolute holistic health. And what are some of the things that you've done before we get into the nitty gritty of the EMFs, the electromagnetic fields, into the nitty gritty of mould, which is you know, hugely an important and very relevant issue. So we're going to talk about that very soon. And then, of course, as you say, just chemicals within the home. What are some of the things that people have seen massively change within their health and lifestyle when they've come to you for your help? Well, that's quite a few things there, Andy, a lot. So most of the symptoms I'm looking for that I know can be associated with hazards in the home are asthma, allergies, and long-term fatiguing syndromes that involve multiple organs. So they're the big ones, especially for mold. Also, skin conditions are quite common, although they can also be due to food allergies as well. So once food allergies have been excluded and and chemicals on the skin from personal care products, then we look also at mold as a potential issue there. With electromagnetic fields, you're looking at symptoms like sleep disturbances because it impacts melatonin and causes oxidative stress. Tinnitus, so ringing in the ears is common, headaches. Chest constriction is quite common as well, and fatiguing-like syndrome. In fact, the symptoms of electromagnetic sensitivity, mold sensitivity, chemical sensitivity, are about 75% the same because all of them are associated with long-term low-grade systemic inflammation and impacts on oxidative stress. So once someone becomes sensitive to one of those, you really need to look at the other two in order for that client to manage and and have some form of quality of life. Wow, yeah. So a lot of people are just getting well in those areas just when you're changing the things that we need to do in the home. So let's go right through then to, I guess, mould, which is probably the most relevant and current topic of today since we've had so many floods so much rain, which we don't know where has come from all of a sudden, um, more rain than ever before in our country of Australia. And how is that impacting our health when these floods occur, not just because of the damage to the home and the loss of it, but how does it affect everyone, even though we may have not lost our home? How is everybody getting affected by this? Well, mould affects everybody. It's just that it affects the canaries in the mine first before it affects the rest of us. So like so many environmental uh, exposures. With mould, the issue is not the fungi because fungi is found everywhere from the Arctic to the Antarctica. You'll find up to 500 spores of fungi per centimetre square in your home, in a healthy home. And those fungi will generally reflect what's in the soil ecology, ascospores and basidiospores. In a water-damaged home, what happens as soon as you have liquid water or water vapour in in excess of 70% relative humidity for 48 hours or more, the moisture, the mould is going to be utilising the moisture in order to start growing. 
and the same also with bacteria in long-standing water problems. So you have the problem here is microbial growth and what it's doing is, is spewing out chemicals, microbial VOCs or fungi farts, uh, which you smell as damp, musty odour. And that is a significant um, biomarker that says that there's microbial growth in the house. If you're smelling anything, that's a big red flag. The next one is visible mould. By the time you see visible mould, you're looking at 65 million spores per centimetre squared. So that is a lot in a small space. So if you've got a little bit of visible mould, it's a little problem. If you have a big bit of visible mould, especially if it's hidden in the wall cavity, the subfloor or the roof, big problem. So moisture is the problem. As long as you keep your house dry, mould is not the problem. It's when you have liquid water or water vapour for more than 48 hours that you're going to have microbial growth and the chemicals on the fungi and the spores, the mycotoxins, when you breathe them in, that's when it can elicit adverse health effects. The first people to be impacted will be people with asthma and allergies and people with respiratory problems um, as it can induce those symptoms, bronchitis, pneumonia. I get a lot of patients with pneumonia in water damage environments, uh, recurrent colds and flus, tonsillitis in kids to the point where a lot of them get their tonsils removed and the cause never gets to, which is their home. Um, and then, of course, uh, you can have long-term fatiguing syndrome. So a lot of patients about one in four don't have, have a genotype specific that can result in chronic inflammation in the body that results in these long-term fatiguing syndrome, sleep disturbances, fibromyalgia, muscle aches and pains, brain fog, poor concentration, poor memory, and um, you know missing words mid-sentence. They end up with these chronic fatigue or what we call chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Absolutely. So what is actually happening to our bodies when these chemicals are being released from the yeah, spores and things like that. How does how, how's it affecting the myriad of symptoms that it's going on? Well, in, in people who aren't genetically susceptible, who can create an immune response to biotoxins like mould and other biotoxins include ticks, tick-borne illnesses, many stealth infections, blue-green algae, etc. So in a healthy person, when they're exposed, the first, uh, the innate immune response, the first part of the immune system recognises it and sets up an inflammatory response. It then stimulates a second part of the immune response um, in order to create antibodies. So when you go in back into that building, it goes, you're foreign to the body, it encapsulates it, and then it excretes it through the bile and out through the bowels. Now, the problem is in um, one in four people can't create an immune response. So every time they walk into their damp home, they end up causing the first part of the immune response, which is inflammation. That inflammation impacts key neuropeptides in the brain, melanocyte stimulating hormone, vasoactive intestinal polypeptide, antidiuretic hormone. So they end up with chronic infections throughout the body because Melanocyte stimulating hormone is specific, keeps infections at bay. So to me, mold illness in these patients that results in this long-term fatigue, it's it's because they have all these infections going on in their body. They have yeast infections, candida, and that's creating lots of metabolites. It's blocking the detoxification pathways. And those detoxification pathways are the same as your neurotransmitters, serotonin, adrenaline, noradrenaline. So eventually they get anxiety, depression, and they can even get mold rage or psychosis. So what it shows to me as you know, a wellness expert and researcher and writer of all these books, I love to look into the why, the why, like why is something happening? And more and more our 
sickness is actually wellness. It's our body adapting to a toxic stressor or an environment. But yet the body, as you say, is only able to adapt so much. So, I mean, there's limitations of matter. Um, And we might have that genetic predisposition, as you say, and we don't have the ability to continue to create that immune response. But the inflammatory or the, the inflammation, as you say, is actually the body protecting itself. So sometimes we'll see that as the actual, we think that the inflammation is the problem, but you're saying the root cause is the home, which then the body goes, I need to create this inflammation to protect myself from the toxic stressor. And sometimes we're not able to adapt and and do that. So how do we become more adaptive um, to our toxic environment or better still remove ourselves from this toxic environment? Well, firstly, the inflammatory process that happens in these clients who are genetically susceptible to the way they react to the mould that's causing their disease, um, and that's the problem. When it comes to environmental exposures, it's really important to reduce your toxic load across the board. And, of course, food is the first one because many of your toxins come through um, the bowel and through your food and, of course, the environment. So being able to reduce your toxic load means, because I mean, there's over 185 million chemicals registered for use on the world's largest database, and every 60 seconds another 20 chemicals are being registered. Um, most of these have never been tested for their impact on human health, and large population biomonitoring studies are showing that they're they're accumulating with every generation. So it's a matter of being really mindful about what you're buying and, and make sure that, you know, what you use, especially on your body in terms of personal care products, cleaning products, is it edible? You know, try and go right back to basics. Do we really need to buy half the stuff that we buy? Yeah, I was going to say, if you wouldn't eat it, then why would you put it on your skin? Because what you put on your skin soaks in, right? Absolutely. You know, the skin is the largest organ in the body and you absorb a lot of chemicals through the skin and the skin has its own unique microbiome. In fact, you know, if you're walking past someone who's smoking, the um, staphylococcus and pseudomonas, which is sitting on your skin, they can actually break down the cigarette smoke before it even gets in through the skin into your blood supply. So the microbiome we're starting to realise is probably more effective at detoxing chemicals on your skin, in your lungs, in your gut than even the liver. Wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. <laughs> town. Okay. That's really impressive. So, okay, then let's go back to the home and what's going on in our skin, because we're going to go deeper into the mold in a second, because we're specifically talking about the bathroom, because that's where the mold would probably mainly occur, unless it's in our walls of an old home. But what about the water that's actually coming out of our showers? I mean, I talk about complete home filtration, which I know you know of, and they create a filtered water system that makes sure that all of your taps, all of the spouts are producing, you know, um, healthier water, not just the water we drink, but what about the water that we bathe in? I mean, that's next level because our water is being treated now because of the floods. Isn't that right? We're talking drinking water here, yeah. So drinking water, of course. The water that's coming out of our showers and bathtubs, no? Yes, so we've got chlorine, which, of course, is important to disinfect and kill off Um, pathogenic bacteria in the distribution system so that's important but you just don't want to be ingesting chlorinated water because when it combines with organic matter which it often does in the shower it forms trihalomethanes which are strong carcinogens so you want to make sure you have a a um, kdf filter in the shower in order to get rid of the chlorine and also to filter out other contaminants 
In terms of drinking water, you don't want to be drinking aluminium, you don't want to be drinking fluoride. Most countries, there's only 11 countries that continue to fluoridate their water supply. Most of Europe have, has never fluoridated its water supply because it's unethical to mass medicate an entire population with a pharmaceutical drug, which fluoride is because it treats <laughs> tooth decay. Um, so fluoride wow. targets the yeah. gland, it affects the thyroid. I mean, it affects intelligence. There's a big study that was published a couple of years ago on IQ in children that were exposed in utero and had a significant drop in IQ by the age of seven when their mothers were drinking fluoridated water. So I have reverse osmosis at my tap. The problem is that if you have a whole house water filter system, it's not filtering um, you know, it's filtering near the mains at the front of the property, but then it's going through your pipes and the pipes could be copper pipe, they could be PVC, they could be um, galvanised pipe. And, of course, the taps, you know, many of the new taps that have come on the market in the last 10 to 20 years are brass taps which are loaded with lead. In last May, the, the wow. yeah, last year the government announced $4 billion in replacing the brass taps because most of them contain lead valves, which, of course, lead is very neurotoxic to children. So you could, if you filter out the front of your house with a whole house filter, you won't be filtering the lead in the brass tap, which most people probably have if they bought it in the last 10 to 15 years. So that's a big problem. Right. Far out. So how can we find out if our taps are brass? So, I mean, most most of the taps will be brass. I mean, you can get a plumber to have a look, et cetera, or... Um, it's mainly does it have lead, uh, you know, components to it that could be exposing. So you test the water um, through the lead group. You can do lead testing. Building biologists can do lead testing of the water supply. And that's normally taking the first flush sample in order to identify if there is lead in the, in the tap and or your domestic pipes. Then when you run it for a couple of minutes, then you can retest to see if it's in the distribution system, either the mains pipes through the council. A lot of council pipes have asbestos cement fibre sheet, um, which is getting into our water supply. You know, you can have millions of fibres per litre and that's acceptable in the Australian drinking water guidelines, which I don't think is acceptable. It doesn't cause lung cancer, but does it cause intestinal cancer? They're still debating. So to me, a water filter is such an important part of a healthy being a healthy person, and this is the thing, you know, yeah. as a naturopath, we did four years of nutrition, nothing on drinking water, nothing on air, and that's why I, I pivoted in the last 20 years to really look at the environment, air, water, and its impact on the human on human health. And they're our basic, basic needs oh, and when it comes to health. Absolutely, <laughs> and we ignore them as practitioners. It's really important to start thinking about, you know, water is more important um, than food in terms of without water you're dead within, you know, a week or two. Without food it takes weeks. Um, air is so important you're dead within minutes. So that's how I prioritise with when I'm training my building biologist. Let's look at the air quality first, then we look at the drinking water, etc. before we go into diet and lifestyle. Nicole, we're basically screwed with what the governments are doing with our taps and pipes and things like that when it comes to water. Do we have to like live off grid for a while and get our own rainwater tanks or is that getting affected too? <laughs> well, every source of water has its pros and its limitations. And in my book, I dedicate a chapter to that. So tank water can be great if you're in a pristine environment, but a lot of people are in farming communities where they're exposed to pesticide crop dusting and, of course, lead. You know, if they're near heavy traffic or a freeway, then, you know, there's tonnes and tonnes of lead dust sitting around our wall, our roads because we used lots of leaded petrol for decades in this country and it's still sitting around our roadways, sitting around our, you know, 
areas. So if you live in inner city area, I wouldn't recommend a water tank for drinking unless you filter it because you still will be exposed to lead in soil, etc., as a result of previous use and heavy traffic. Got it, got it. So, okay, then let's go back to the other water issue, which is the mould from the rain. Um, and let's say that we do have a really old house and we can't move out of that house. What are those people supposed to be doing? Well, do we become adaptable? Yeah, so in an old, every home has its elephants. That's what we train our building biologists to pick up, even my home. So yeah. the older the home, the good news is a lot of them are going to be really well ventilated, probably too well ventilated and drafty, but it will have good ventilation. Ideally, you want some right. form of insulation in order to keep it warm in winter and cooler in summer, of course. Um, but the big issue, if it's built prior to 1986, it may contain lead paint. So that's not a problem, providing you don't disturb the paint and it doesn't become a dust. So if you renovate and start sanding back that paint, you want to test it first to see if there's any lead in it. And if there is, mm. then you want to get someone like the Australian Dust Removalist Association to come in and remove that lead paint before you renovate that space, especially if you're thinking about having kids. So lead paint is like the new asbestos? Well, lead paint's been around for a very, very long time and it is it is quite well known. However, unfortunately, a lot of these renovation shows really don't focus on it enough because they're renovating older buildings and they forget to remind us how toxic lead paint is, especially for children. And, in fact, a lot of people don't realise around one-third of cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure could be due to lead exposure uh, in childhood, increasing risks later on in life. Also, many um, male prisoners who are illiterate, who are in prison, often have very high lead levels from childhood, and that because it affects intelligence and it can make people more aggressive. Oh, my goodness, because I've never really been a fan of the whole prison system. I always, I mean, it's such a confusing topic for me that we're getting into this now. I always feel like we're born to be love, we're born to be intelligent, but there's something that's stopping us from being able to, well, it's not something, there's lots of things that are stopping us from being our innate divinity, who we really are, which is just we want to love, that's how we're born. But what are all the different things I focus on that um, deny us of that optimal function and that optimal health and that optimal ability to be the love that we all want and, ha- and it's our birthright. That's, I mean, that's all we want at the end of the day. You know, well-to-do is about an abundance of love and wellness, but it's our birthright for it, but all we want is to love and be loved. So here we are, we have these people who potentially haven't had the resources or the ability to come into our world healthily through birthing trauma or you know interference and then the first thing that happens is we're given vitamin k injections and all these sorts of things to you know potentially help us and and then you're saying and then we're we're also being interfered with with the environment that we're living in and then how does that set up a person who we then just medicate because we think that they've got ADD, ADHD or all these different problems, who then land up with aggression and all these different issues into this prism system, but then it's never really addressed in there. So they get given, obviously, um, you know, counselling and those sorts of things, but it's not enough often, is it? So this, this, this topic that you're talking about is huge to me because are we getting enough education into that prism system? Are you doing anything in there like for them? in helping them to understand or is it just not it's not something you know that they're interested in learning no that's not my skill set so I've just 
look at the, some of the research on lead and it happened to lead to, you know, the fact that it affects IQ and I think that's an interesting right. correlation. I'm sure, look, there's many reasons why people end up in jail and trauma in, in childhood and, and growing up, etc. In, in many ways, I think adversity is an important part of the human experience because how do you experience your divinity until you've had adversity, you know? Absolutely. It's just I wish that there could be so much more done for people if we understood, which is why I've got you on the show, because we just need to continue to help people to understand how our bodies work, what, give it the best environment and, um, and, yeah, continue to love harder. But, yeah, I mean, the intelligence. So let's talk about the intelligence because, you know, you know my love of the nervous system and how we give that nervous system optimal communication through things like chiropractic. Um, but then our nervous system might be just shot as a result of, you know, living in an unhealthy home. So um, and how that impacts on our intelligence or even innate intelligence. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Can we talk about how? Yes, so we've yeah. mentioned lead and we've mentioned fluoride. Um, mold definitely causes a lot of brain fog, as do as does electromagnetic sensitivity and chemicals. So I guess the focus here is trying to reduce your exposure to those environmental triggers as much as possible, which isn't easy to do because you know we're all addicted to our wireless technologies. It creates huge amount of. Um, um, you know, in terms of our social interaction now is all digital, etc. And there's a lot of benefits in education, etc., which of course I'm in. However, it's really important, especially to set up the bedroom, to make sure you don't have Wi-Fi enabled devices because that could interfere interfere with your capacity to sleep. Um, I've just recently um, in the process of publishing a study, randomized control trial on the impact of a baby monitor on healthy adult sleep. And it was statistically significant. It impacted non-REM sleep and um, that in turn can affect, you know, um, subjective sleep. So it's important to make sure your bedroom is as clear as possible from mould, from wireless devices, not having your phone being charged in the in the bedroom, not having Wi-Fi enabled devices like printers and computers and, you know, musical instruments and alarm clocks, etc. You know, I've got a, a wind-up or a battery-operated clock, you know, I don't have anything in the bedroom that's Wi-Fi enabled and I make sure that the bedroom doesn't have anything behind it, like a smart meter, an inverter, anything like that that could also impact my capacity or and my children's capacity to sleep. So for those who are just sort of learning on this health journey, they might not know some of the terms that you and I have been talking about. So just to cover that quickly, you were talking about carcinogens. For those who don't know, that's a cancer-causing ingredient um so that's that term and then REM sleep you said which is uh short for rapid eye movement what is the rapid eye movement how does that help us to have a better sleep when we're in the REM state I couldn't give you the specifics of that but basically okay. it's a it's a it gets you into a deeper sleep so um, there's a lot of interesting research coming out now in terms of sleep and what happens as the brain detoxes during the sleeping phase can't remember the yes. exact words for it, but um, it's really important in that REM sleep where you get your deeper sleep um, to feel like you're rested when you're, you know, when you wake up. It's interesting, yeah. most adults that I have had as patients, but also as building biologists going to their homes, 
feel it's normal to wake up feeling tired. And I think that's interesting. That's not what wellness is about. Wellness is the capacity to sleep well, wake up feeling full of vitality and getting out into the world. If you're not sleeping well, your health can't that doesn't improve very well. And I think it's interesting that most chronic diseases um, have sleep disturbances as part of their presentation. Yeah, it's like sleep is the new pandemic, really. It's just incredible how, as you say, so many people are just waking up thinking, oh, it's normal to just feel buggered the next day and um, instead of refreshed because, as you say, the brain's detoxing, rejuvenating, all that sort of stuff while we sleep. So what's the quality of our sleep like and how is our home contributing to the lack of quality sleep? But then mould, okay, if what does it look like? Is it just found in the bathrooms where we can see it or is it hidden and, and you know, a little ghostly thing inside the walls that we would never know is even there? Well, wherever the liquid water is, that's where it's likely to be. So if it's a roof problem, a gutter issue, if there's moisture in the roof void because of a leak or tile cracked, for example, then that's where it's going to be. If it's due to living in a humid environment like Sydney or Central Coast or Queensland, you've got sustained humidity. So I literally everything in the house will be microbial growth if the humidity levels are high in the home. Living in a humid environment comes at a cost. Unless you're prepared to dehumidify or heat the home to a point where you prevent dew point and condensation, you're going to have microbial growth on almost every surface in that home. Um, so that's why it's important that you understand the cost of living in that environment and how much it costs to keep it dry is really important. So I assume when I'm doing assessments of homes in those humid environments, Sydney, Central Coast, Queensland, etc., that it's all contaminated unless I have evidence to the contrary. Right. Interesting. So where's the best place to live then? Someone like somewhere like Melbourne? <laughs> well, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, it's a lot drier, so you don't have that issue with humidity. But, of course, out where we get mould is because of a liquid water event, either a drainage, inadequate drainage, water in the subfloor, we have an overflowing bath that we didn't address and the water was there for more than 48 hours and it's sinking right. and it's going into the substrate. Um, you have, you know, these, it's normally liquid water events that are triggering the mould-related issues in drier climates like Melbourne. If we were to look at our, like, vents in our bathrooms and we see, like, little black dots, are those necessarily spores or is it just dust accumulation? Without testing, it's impossible to say. But generally where the dust is, that's where the spores tend to be because, remember, you have up to 500 spores per centimetre squared on every surface of your house. When it becomes a water damage environment, however, the type of fungi you find is very different to what you see in a healthy home. So you're more likely to see Aspergillus, Penicillium, Cladosporium, Cutonium, maybe even Stachybotrys in long-standing water problems. So that's why it's important to um, identify where the mould is, and that's done by doing a site inspection, using thermal imaging, using moisture meters, and then, of course, doing sampling for air, surface and dust sampling. And before we get a chance to do that with somebody like yourself, would it be advisable to grab a sponge and just wipe it off, or does that create a bigger issue? So in terms of remediation, there's a few rules of thumb. If you're going to wipe it off the surface and you're talking about 
you know, more than a, um, a sheet of paper, the size of a sheet of paper, you definitely want to be protecting your eyes, nose and mouth because in the process of wiping it, you're going to expose yourself to high levels of spores and hyphae, which contain mycotoxins that can trigger an asthmatic attack that can be lethal. It can also trigger uh, chronic inflammatory response and people can be sick for weeks or months after that. So you want to make sure, ideally, what we wear is a full face respirator. So it covers our eyes, our nose and our mouth and it has a canister, a HEPA filters canister. So that's important. When you're cleaning mould, what you would normally do for a semi-porous or non-porous surface, like plastic or masonry and things like that, is you're getting a vacuum cleaner and you're vacuum cleaning the surface first. Then you get a microfiber cloth that's been dipped in warm water with a bit of detergent and then wiping the surface and then vacuuming it again. Wow. That's called a HEPA sandwich and that's the most appropriate way to remove mold from the surface. So we can do that first until such time that we can get an appointment with a building biologist. To test the home, yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. So it's okay to remove it because then you'll just find it's somewhere else or, or you know, you'll look at the photos. Yeah, well, the most important thing is what caused it in the first place. Are we talking about a little bit of mould in grout from a bathroom in the shower because there's moisture sitting there for more than 48 hours? That's not likely to be a health risk, so it's about risk as well. We have the mould, but is it going to be a health risk? If the mould is growing in the wall of the shower because the waterproof membranes are compromised, that's a different story. But if it's a relatively new bathroom, you've got a bit of mould in the grout, look, you're not going to wear a full-face respirator for that. You're just going to get a toothbrush with a little bit of bicarb soda and detergent and just get it out. That's yeah. going to be sufficient. Um, but if there's a large bit of mould, more than the size of a piece of paper, then you're going to be have to be extra careful, especially yeah. in bathrooms or anywhere. Yeah, I'm just talking so about the, the, the fan vents in everybody's bathroom. We'd probably all have mould in those fan vents possibly so what you would do is you just re gently remove it and then um you would put it in the in the laundry trough and then clean it off that way so you're actually removing it down the sink that's how i would clean my fans and then use a microfiber cloth on the actual blades themselves yeah. obviously when they're not moving <laughs> to clear it off but the main thing in bathrooms and laundries is to make sure the ventilation is good and you're not getting condensation yeah so if people are getting any condensation in the bathroom in the laundry any areas of their home you know the ventilation isn't adequate and there's high levels of water vapor so you need to try and reduce that by either having shorter showers you know making sure the ventilation from the cooking is being vented to the exterior not the roof void and of course maybe increasing the temperature of these rooms so they're not getting condensation yeah wow that last part's next level like just where is the cooking condensation going interesting you know what, Nicole, we are so lucky to have you on this show and obviously you're a wealth of knowledge and our half-hour show only touches the tip of the iceberg when it comes to mould and then just we whetted our appetite with some of the other things like drinking water and EMFs and things. We'd love to have you back on the show. Will you join us on some other topics later on? Sure, happy to do that. Thanks, Andy. And where can we find you if we want to get more information? There's more information on my website, buildingbiology.com.au and also on the college website, which is aces.edu.au. Okay, and of course, don't forget to grab Nicole's book, which is called Healthy Home, Healthy Family. It is one of my little Bibles here and being well-to-do, having a healthy home is probably just crucial when it comes to health. So, Nicole Bilsma, thank you so much for being on our Well To Do fourth episode. Thank you so much and stay tuned for more education and inspiration.